0: Hi, welcome to episode 140. Today, we are again going to listen to the wonderful, amazing Dr. Aaron Boster. Dr. Boster has graced us with his presence, like I said before, several times with a lot of and bringing, I should say, bringing a lot of knowledge, a lot of laughs, and just a general overall love and passion for MS and the MS community. His patients love him. We love him. And we hope that you enjoy this wonderful episode uh, with Dr. Boster. Welcome to season four of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn.
1: And I'm Dana. We are two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between.
0: You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Myelin Melanin. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube.
1: The clip you were about to listen to is from episode 73, which was actually realm 10 of our first intimacy series, that part, Intimacy and MS, and this was season three.
2: Yeah, so so I think that the first step is for the clinician to be sensitive that it's a thing, right? right. So, so the first step is to recognize that it's something which happens quite frequently. And if you look at the statistics, it's not infrequent. Uh, it's actually very, very frequent. Um, And, and the second thing, at least my approach is I talk about it all the flipping time. Yeah. And my point, my point is not to embarrass someone, but basically by making jokes and making light, and I'll explain how I do that in a second. I'm, I'm communicating with the human. I am cool with this topic. So for example, when um, I saw uh, two, new consultative uh, patients this this afternoon so people that that were onboarding into my practice mm-hmm. i had not spoken to them before and there's a point in time during our discussion where i ask um about various functions you know so how how do your hands work do you have any difficulty with handwriting et cetera? Et cetera. and then i say you know any issues with bladder you know any accidents near accidents or difficulty getting urine out and we talk about that say so, okay well now How about any similar problems with bowel function? Any accidents, near accidents, or difficulty with constipation? Mm -hmm. And then I say, whenever I ask about bowel and bladder, I always ask about sexual function. Not to be nosy, Mm -hmm. but it's in the same location in the brain and spinal cord. Any difficulties with arousal, obtaining, maintaining an erection or ejaculation? Or if it's a woman, then I, you know, I change so that it's an appropriate comment. Mm -hmm. And then I just look at them. And sometimes they say, Actually, yes, that's a major problem. And then we start talking about it. Mm. Or they say, nope, nope, everything's fine. But they heard that I'm down to discuss it. Right. And Mm -hmm. each visit with my patients, I ask them about the up theirs and the down theirs. So the up theirs is cognition, energy, and mood. That's the up Mm theirs. Invisible symptoms that are very common in MS that can plague quality of life and and your ability to you know work and live your life and then I talk about the down there's and the down there's are bowel bladder and sexual function and so I try my best to normalize the conversation and I will sometimes take a further step and say just so that you know if that's ever an issue let me know because I want to help you fix it and by by normalizing it I'm trying to set the stage even before they come to me so they know that Dr. B is cool with that topic and I'm not going to shy away from it. Uh, on the contrary, I want to lean in and really help.
1: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think from, um, an MS perspective person with that, having MS, like I was saying before, it's really difficult to, I don't think I'm afraid to bring it up with my neurologist, um, and talk about this topic, I think it's more, I just wasn't aware that all of this would happen. You know, once yep. I started yep. to have the lesions going down the the thoracic, you know, that's when things started to kind of go haywire. And I'm like, wait a yep. minute, this is this is real now.
2: Yep. And yep. how and do I, th- I approach that? And I mm-hmm. think
1: that for somebody who is newly diagnosed, they don't know, like, is it inappropriate to be talking about this kind of stuff with my neurologist? So I think it's a wonderful thing when a neurologist takes the initiative to kind of break the ice. For sure, for sure. That that it's okay to, you know, you're not crazy for wanting to talk about it.
2: No, on the contrary. I mean, I I will share with you that I have a lot of colleagues that think I'm a weirdo for many reasons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> including the fact that i engage in conversations about sex with my patients and mm. and i've had neurologists say you're stepping out of line that's not appropriate i would never do that but more often what i hear is oh man that's crazy i, I wouldn't feel comfortable discussing that right and, and I, whereas that may or may not be the case in my mind that's too bad you know yeah. because it, it's my goal to help someone impacted by ms be the most awesome version of them possible despite having a mess. Mm-hmm. I want them to live their very, very best life. And I don't know about you, but having a earth shattering orgasm is a great way to live your best life. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, so I would be in my mind rather foolish not to try to help there. Right. Right. You know, I could help someone with a tremor and that's helpful, but if I can help them, have adequate vaginal lubrication that's more helpful gosh darn it I mean so so (laughs) I, I think that we just have to as neurologists put on our big boy pants and and have the conversation and and let the person share what's going on right and very often during the course of a visit someone will say well I want to ask you something but I'm not sure how to ask Mm-hmm. And, and that always, almost always, is a question about intercourse yes. or marijuana. It's one of the two. Right. Uh, but, but it's very often a question about intercourse. And, and, I, and I do want to share just a funny story. Is one mm-hmm. of the funniest things that's happened to me in the course of my, my career. A young man that I'm very proud to take care of, he has god-awful MS. And we did a really good job controlling his disease. We put him on a very powerful medicine It worked great. It worked so great. He kind of disappeared, you know, Mm -hmm. he didn't didn't come back because he was doing super. Mm -hmm. And um, one day I'm in clinic and, you know, it's a hustle and bustle. It's a very busy clinic. And my MA comes back and goes, oh, my gosh, so-and-so showed up today. And I said, oh, he's not on the schedule. And she said, I know, but he's out in the waiting room and he refuses to leave. Now, this kid is not like that. He's not pushy. Mm -hmm. He's a very, very polite young man that's highly uncharacteristic. And I got nervous. I thought, oh, shoot, you know, get him in a room. Get him in a room. Mm-hmm. So they put him in a room, and you know when my MA goes in, they ask questions, tell me what's going on. He wouldn't say. He says I need to talk to Dr. Boster. So okay. So I go in the room and I sit down and I said, man, what's going on? He goes, I have to talk to you. And I said, well, apparently. <laughs> and, and I said, what's wrong? He goes, I have a really big problem. And I said, okay, what is it? And he took a breath and he goes, I have a girlfriend. I said, that's not a problem. That's fantastic. Right. He goes, I, yeah. I need Viagra right now. <laughs> so this. So this this young man who had disappeared from my clinic, God bless him, and, and he, he barged in the clinic the only time in, in my life and demanded that he be seen. <laughs> so So I so I gave him some, you know, a prescription for Viagra and I I let, you know, he left and then I came out of the room and my whole team was like waiting, like, is he okay? Is he okay? I said, Yeah, he's fine. You know? um, but but I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. And I was kind of honored that he knew that he could he could reach out and that yes. I would help him. Yeah. So that, that made me that made me feel really good. Yes. Right.
1: That really wow. That gave me goosebumps.
0: Yeah,
2: I know. I love that story. <laughs> I, I, I told I told my team I said from now on if a 20 something boy demands to be seen, we now know why. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. So with all that said, um so throughout this series Um, And I think we sent it to you as well. We've referenced Uh um, a presentation um, done by Dr. Stanley Ducharme. He did it um, back in 2012, but it's called Sexuality and MS. And he's a Uh clinical psychologist and sex therapist. But anyway, um, he gives a bunch of tips um, from the perspective of a sex therapist. Um, Uh And, you know, he tailors it to people with MS. And one of the takeaways that I think is really the most powerful for me personally in the presentation he says don't try to recreate the past and yeah that is 100 percent spot on and yep. as i read that it reminds me <laughs> excuse me of a video that you did a couple years ago when you talked about um shifting the paradigm
2: yes it's yes
1: totally totally spot on with that so in your opinion or from your perspective do you have some thoughts about changing the paradigm when it comes to dealing with sex
2: absolutely Um, absolutely so i think that we have to start by trying and failing at defining sex right right so so if you ask um a lesbian what's what sex is she will give you a different answer than a 20-something heterosexual boy.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: They're both having sex, but they're not necessarily doing the same things. Right. And I, I bring that up because how we define sex and how we define intimacy isn't, um, doesn't mean vaginal penetration with a penis in a missionary position until the guy has an orgasm and then they watch TV. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know, intercourse can, can take place in lots of different ways. And, and, and really it's about two people connecting in a very, in a very, very intimate way. Not to use the word intimate five times in one (laughs) sentence, but it's, and, and it's, it's, it's special and unique for them. And so if you are used to mowing your lawn one way, and then because of motor fatigue and heat sensitivity, you can't do it that way. It doesn't mean you can't mow your lawn. It just means you can't mow the lawn the way you used to. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll share another uh, story of a gentleman that I, I have the pleasure of knowing, and he has MS. And he has erectile dysfunction, and he's very open about it. Um, he, he actually has uh, created some social media support groups surrounding it, which I think is commendable. Yeah. and he has a significant other, and when he shared with her, you know, "Hey, I, you know, I have, I have erectile dysfunction," she s- smiled and said, "Does your mouth work?" And I was like, "Go, girl!" <laughs> you know. And so I just, you know, and so that to me is an awesome example of two things. It's an awesome example of paradigm shifting, mm-hmm. and it's an awesome example of what it means to be intimate yes. and what it means to have sex. Now, you know, do, does that qualify sex? In Aaron's book, it sure as heck does. Right. right? I mean, and so, and so I think that we have to be careful about how narrow of a definition that we have. Yes. And, and this is why I think that open dialogue is so important. You know, there are, there are couples that don't discuss intercourse. You know, like they, don't, they, they may have sex, but they don't really talk about it. And that puts them, in my opinion, at a disadvantage Yeah, because they're not able to discuss, hey, you know, that actually kind of hurts. That doesn't feel good. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you did it like this instead of like that, you know, it, it, all, those, all of those conversations are trying to help clue in your partner so that the experience is all the much better. And, and I think that, that this, in you're, your spot on, this ties so tightly into the concept of paradigm shifting you can still have an amazing experience. It just might be a bit different than uh, you had planned. Right, right. The clip you are about to
1: listen to is from episode 135, which is the final episode, actually, in our third intimacy series, These Parts, Intimacy and MS. And this is from season four.
2: I, I help people by request. Like I quite literally like ask, like, would you please do this? And so my thinking is, if, if you don't trust me, you know, if, if you don't understand the request, you're not going to do it. You know, so however, if you flip it around and you trust me and you understand, you are very likely to do it because we clarified our goals early on We clarified our life goals. We clarified our MS goals. And this falls into that. So when I say, hey, look, not smoking, just because I used that example earlier, Mm -hmm. will slow down your disease and it'll make you get worse uh, less quickly and it'll help you maintain brain volume and I'll blah, 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 blah. Then you at least understand why I'm asking you about it. (laughs) And if you transition from the pre-contemplative phase of quitting smoking, which is a doctor's way of saying, speak to the hand. I ain't quitting. And you transition from there to the contemplative phase, which is, well, I'm going to listen to you while I smoke the cigarette, right? If, if, right? if you transition there and you know that I'm on your team, like you trust that I'm not going to be a Yahoo or be rude or condescending or whatever, and you know that I have your best interest at heart, you may share that with me. You may say, hey, Aaron, I actually am kind of thinking about not smoking so much. And, you know. And so that creates an opportunity where I get to help you, where we get to do better collectively. And it was based on this intimate trust that we're discussing.
0: I, I'm just kind of speechless because <laughs> it's, it's so critical to have that kind of relationship. You know, um, if you don't trust your specialist, if you don't trust your team, you really are kind of on a dead end street and nobody will be there to, to, to help with well, no direction. And, you, you know,
2: yeah. and, and And before I give the uh, impression that my colleagues like around the world don't care, I want to I want to share that the system that uh, most doctors work in. And I'm speaking about the United States because I don't know other systems as well. But uh, the system that we work in doesn't provide us that like that's not the way the system is constructed. And, Mm And so systemically, it's actually hard to do that. I'll just give you a couple quick examples. So we doctors in the United States are paid through uh, clinic visits by what's called like a, like a work unit. Like there's a certain amount of money that, that the insurance company will reimburse you for a certain amount of time sitting with the person delivering care. Right. And it's pre it's set ahead of time. And there's a diminishing returns on time spent. So the amount of money that you're reimbursed for a longer visit is a lot less collectively than if you did a bunch of short visits. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to pay your bills and take care of your family and provide, you're being pushed to doing a bunch of little short visits. And if you do a long visit, which you're allowed to do, you just won't be paid. And and so that's just a quick example of, of a system that pushes against our ability to offer that intimate relationship. I'll give you one more example. Um, a lot of you know, a lot of patients I take care of have government uh, insurance. So they have insurance to like, say, Medicare. And if you have a patient on Medicare, there's a bunch of boxes that have to be checked and and um, things that have to be done. And, and and I'm talking about like paperwork type stuff, like either in the electronic medical record, um, you know, or or on paper. And it's extremely cumbersome, actually. And it has nothing to do with MS or it has nothing to do with like anything else. It's, but those are the requirements of that government payer. And all of these things that I'm talking about take away time. Uh, one last example then I'll shut up uh, about this is that when a lawyer calls a client, they bill for the time of the phone. Right. So when a doctor calls a patient, there's no billing system for that. And and the only reason I'm bringing all this stuff up is you can have a doctor who really cares a whole lot, who wants to have a more intimate relationship, who wants to have a closer bond. They just can't um, literally they're not afforded the time or the resources to be able to do that which is really unfortunate you know I, I just don't want to give the impression like aaron cares and no one else does i don't think that's right. true i just i just don't know how else to behave so i do it sometimes at a detriment you know to my pocketbook or what have you you know right. um but it really is a unfortunate situation
1: thanks for tuning in to the myelin and melanin podcast
0: you can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Myelin Melanin.
1: Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.